We have been talking about being empowered to serve. Last week, I kicked off this series uh, with a message on uh, some general principles about the Holy Spirit. And we began last week with John chapter 16, verse 7, which says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. I just want to review this to get us on course again for what we're talking about. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your benefit, your advantage, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We are in the Easter season, and we reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross, dying and resurrecting and ascending into heaven. And there are many benefits that we have associated with what he's done. Things like forgiveness for sin. Things like eternal life. Jesus went, to, went and ascended into heaven as our high priest who intercedes for us on our behalf. We have him representing us in heaven. Mankind has a representative there, a great high priest. There's all these advantages that Jesus has for us because of what he did on the cross. But one of the most significant things that he draws attention to in this situation is that I need to go so another advocate will come and be with you. I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit. We talked about uh, the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the person of the Holy Spirit that He speaks, He teaches, He witnesses, He searches, He determines, He intercedes, He can be lied to, He can be grieved. All of these things that we see in the Scripture draw attention to that the Holy Spirit isn't just an it, a force, a power, but it is God, the person of God amongst us, the most present form of God, the, the God manifesting amongst his people, not just, God's not just in heaven watching you on a monitor somewhere, he is right here present, we talked about that last week, we looked at four major points about what the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers, which is what this series is about, the Holy Spirit reveals, the Holy Spirit purifies, the Holy Spirit unifies. There's lots of things that the Holy Spirit is active doing in our lives today. Empowering us, which we will look at. Bringing revelation in all types of forms. Purifying us. Doing that sanctifying work in our lives of transforming us. God wants to transform us. God wants to bring us into relationship with Him. He wants to unify us. How, what, what is He doing to make that happen? His Spirit is with us, prompting us, leading us, challenging us leading us down that journey with Him. We saw that at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and we looked at that story in Acts chapter 2. And then I left you with this, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, which will kick us off today. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul had a motivation to inform the Corinthians about spiritual gifts. Apparently, they knew about them. They weren't, particular, they weren't managing them particularly well. They were a little bit chaotic. And Paul uh, starts in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, I, th this endeavor to inform the people, to teach them, to lead them, to give them information about spiritual gifting. We're going to focus on this microcosm of the work of the Holy Spirit for a little bit here. I'm going to do it today. I, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to plunge into this today. There's no way I can answer all the questions or address all the issues or all the controversies or all the doctrine or whatever things arise in us over the power of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's an extensive subject and is controversial. And we'll look at some of those uh, beginning with one of them today. Uh, but I won't be able to unpack all of those today. So you're just going to have to be patient. Uh, uh, Lynn Stumberg is going to be sharing the message next week, and she will be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm really looking forward to that. Then we have Clem Ferris, one of our overseers, will be here the week after that. He also will be giving us instruction about the use of the gifts of the Spirit. Then we have Easter Sunday, which Mr. Jason Harris will be leading us in communion that day. I will be gone. Uh, Then we have Baptism Sunday, so I won't be able to come back to this until uh, the week after baptism uh, Sunday. So you'll have to be patient as we work through some of these things. But I want to begin diving in because I think it's really important for us to grasp these things, be wrestling with them, be growing in understanding of how God works amongst us. See, one thing I just want to uh, say before we dive in this too is that we are in a relationship with God. There's a connection. There's an interaction all the time. He's always there working on us, working through us, wanting to grow us and change us, wanting us to be in communion with him through prayer and inviting him to lead. There's, there's, uh, and there's this moment where he comes alongside and he empowers us. And we call that the gifts of the spirit. I want to first look at uh, Wayne Grudem's definition of what is a gift of of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be gifted? How do we define that? It's important for us to understand really what it is to have a gift of the Spirit. Wayne Grudem is a uh, uh, doctorate of theology and a professor, one of the more widely renowned in uh, charismatic circles and evangelical circles, very respected. His definition is this. Carter, can I get that slide, please? A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church. So what do we see here? The Holy Spirit empowers us. He uses the same word we're using in our series here. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. We're going to look at a lot of those uses uh, in the future. Uh, Sam Storms, another respected theologian. Uh, he says this, a spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit manifests His presence and imparts His power into and through individual believers to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity so that they might faithfully and effectively fulfill certain ministry tasks for the building up of the body of Christ. We see a little more wide-reaching, more comprehensive, I think, uh, definition that Mr. Storms gives us. The Holy Spirit manifests the presence of God with us in so many ways. Sometimes it's very subtle. When we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, it, it can be something very subtle. And sometimes people want a real black and white definition of when is it a natural ability and when is it a gift of the Spirit? And we don't always, we can't just point at something and go, well, that's when it's a gift of the Spirit and that's when it's not. The fact is that you could not have even come to faith in Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
so many things that we do in an everyday way that we may attribute to our own will or to our own personality or to our own skills. The Holy Spirit is in the background working in all of those ways. And hopefully in every way we live, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit in some way. So to define a gift separate from natural gifts can be a difficult thing to do. And I don't think I want to get into an argument or a situation where we're splitting hairs over these kinds of things. Here's what I want to get to. You have abilities that God wants to empower in the service of the church and the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. You have things that God wants to activate in you. Okay, so I'm standing up in front of you teaching today. You could argue that, well, JR just has a natural ability to kind of talk that way, or maybe he's, you know, he's done a lot of study over the years, so maybe that's where all that comes from. I'm telling you, it's almost a miraculous thing for me to be standing up here and preaching, right? If my parents were here, they'd be amening for sure. Because you could look at that and go, well, Jared's just operating in a natural personality kind of thing that he has. I assure you, I go home almost every Sunday thanking God that he met me on Sunday at church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and really girds us up and empowers us to do the serving that we need to do to build one another up. Why? Because he loves the church. He wants to build us up. He has things for us to do. He wants to extend his kingdom. So he comes alongside us and he empowers us. And and there's a broad spectrum of that. From from things like, you know, there's people out here greeting and and making coffee. We have so much administration that went on to make this happen. We got nerds in the back that make all the techno stuff happen. Like all these things are going on so that the body of Christ can be built. And he's empowering all of those in all of us. So, so those are simple things on one end of the spectrum, and then we move all the way to the other end of the spectrum where there is undeniably supernatural gifting that, that is undeniably miraculous. Things like healing, words of knowledge, supernatural gifting that we see at work at times, and God gifts his people with. So the gifts of the Spirit is a broad spectrum, sometimes undeniable power of the Spirit, And other times, the Holy Spirit just quietly working in your life, empowering you to serve the body of Christ and to build it up. It's often an internal and intuitive and soul level work when the Holy Spirit is working. Not just a gift, but when the Holy Spirit is working, sometimes it's, it's, there's a story in the Old Testament where Elijah, you know, there's, there's a fire and there's earthquake and there's wind that breaks rocks and all of them just say, say that the Lord wasn't in it. And the Lord came in this still, quiet voice afterwards. And the Holy Spirit's like that. He can be the still, quiet. That's why I prayed this morning, God, help us open our spiritual ears to be sensitive to what you're doing in our lives because he can be quiet and subtly. He, some people say he's a gentleman and that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. And Okay, sometimes, I think. He'll nudge, he'll quietly work inside your heart. That's how the Holy Spirit works. But He will work on you and empower you in moments for the purpose of building the body of Christ. So one of the first questions I want to address is, besides talking about in general about the gifts of the Spirit, is what are they? Is there a certain number of them? Is there a limited number of gifts, spiritual gifts that God gives? This has been a 
serious theological debate for many, many years. And we're going to take a look at it. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the various places in the New Testament. And I'm not even going to talk about some of the places where the Old Testament, uh, where people were empowered by the Spirit. I'll maybe address that a little bit later. But we're going to look at the New Testament today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Let's look at this list. Here's some of the things Paul lists in chapter 12. Apostle, teacher, kinds of healing, administration, prophet, miracles, helps, various kinds of tongues. See, Paul's using one word here. The charisma, the charismata, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit empowering us in these ways. Apostle, teacher, kinds of healing. How many diverse kinds of healing did he mean? What was he talking about? Does that mean that some people have faith for healing about certain things and others? Has God empowered people to, in healing in other ways? What about administration? How many different ways can administration manifest itself? People that are good at it. Some people are good at administrating like they're good with numbers and putting paper and files and that kind of stuff. Then you have people who are good at administrating an event or coordinating other things. There's all kinds of ways of administration. Some people look at the administration gifts similar to leadership. Prophet. People that are prophetic sense things from God and deliver it. Again, there's a whole broad spectrum within each one of these gifts. Gifts of miracles. How many kinds of miracles are are there? Lots. Helps. How many ways of helping are there? Many different ways of helping. Various kinds of tongues. Oh man, I could open a can of worms here and start talking about tongues. Not going to address that today. Various kinds of tongues. Now does that mean... Various kinds of known language tongues? Or is it, are you talking about speaking in tongues versus praying in tongues versus known languages in tongues? What are we talking about here? I'm not sure. Variety. There's different. Let's go on to another list. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 through 10. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. Faith. Gifts of healing. Miracles. Prophecy. Distinguishing between spirits. Tongues. Interpretation of tongues. Again, Paul's using the same idea. Gifts. These are charismatic. It's the grace of God at work in our lives. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing. Again, gifts, plural, of healing. That's interesting. I've never noticed that before until like yesterday when I was preparing. Gifts, plural. What does he mean? What kinds of healing is he thinking about? I'm not sure. Miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, or we'd say discernment, some people would call that. Discerning, sensing something, sensing a spiritual situation. Oh, and here we see interpretation of tongues. Oh, now we see that they can be interpreted. Wow, this is interesting. Oh, wait, let's go on to another list. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Talking about Christ ascending and giving gifts to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher, or pastor and teacher. Or are they two or are they one? Well, that's a whole other debate that I don't want to get into today. There's four different types of gifts for the church. There in Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing, leadership. There we go. There's a gift of leadership. You can be be empowered by the Holy Spirit in all of these things. I look at that, excuse me, I look at the gift of mercy there. Man, if I have the gift of mercy, it has to be the Holy Spirit, right? Right? You know, there are things like that where we look at these things and we go, it really would be the power of the Holy Spirit for these things to happen. But even people that are gifted in mercy, I think of my wife, Janie, is very merciful to everybody but me. And 
I'm just kidding. But you know, if you've ever been in her care, you've ever had her come alongside and be merciful and compassionate, you go, that woman's got a gift for that. Why? Not just because it's her personality, but God wants to build a church, so he comes alongside her and he empowers her in that gift. And we have to, we have to recognize that and give God honor where it's due when we see these healthy things. Listen, if it were all up to us and our carnality, how much good could we really do? Not very much. Thank you. That's right. Hey, I wish you guys would be louder, okay? Yes, there we go. I lost my train of thought. Let's move on. All right. The Holy Spirit comes along and empowers leadership, mercy. In 1 Peter 4.11, Peter's talking about the gifts. He talks about the same thing, the charismata, and he doesn't go on any particularly specific list. He said, Whoever speaks and whoever renders service. So he categorizes them in two kind of departments there. Some people, see, we got to be careful that we don't try and put God in a box and categorize him so specifically that he can't get out, that he, we won't let him work outside of that box. Okay, I think it's, I love categorizing. I love systematic theology. It is so, so helpful to me. And I think it should be to everybody. And as we categorize things, it forces us to ruminate on those things and think about them so that we understand them. But at the end of the day, we need to remember that God is above all things. He cannot necessarily be completely defined or put in a box that's all neat and pretty all the time. But Peter says, whoever speaks and whoever renders service. Let's look at that passage, 1 Peter chapter 4. If anyone serves... He should serve with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever. Did I miss something here? Let's go. Thank you. As good stewards of God's manifold grace, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. Okay, Peter's talking about gifts, and look at how he describes them, the manifold grace of God. We talked about this word manifold a few weeks ago when we were talking about through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, through the church. Again, that's in the back of my mind, that's what's going on here is God is, is leading us to increase our expectation and value of the church and what the church's mission is and recognizing in this series that he's empowered us to bring that diverse grace into this world. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, each of you, none of you are exempt, should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. Key point, we'll look at in the future. If anyone speaks, he should speak as one conveying the words of God. If anyone serves, he should serve with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter is drawing attention to maybe two categories, but, but not necessarily getting into any sort of extensive list. So let's go to the next slide. You may not be able to read this, can we go, do you have that slide? It's gone. There it is. Thank you. This took me a while to make, so you have to put it up there. <laughs> you may not be able to read this, and that was somewhat to the point. 
Now look at all of these lists I read, the one, two, three, four, five list. Then look over there on the far right. It says 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Paul talks about a charismata, a gift of marriage and celibacy. Now some, some people argue that's not a gift. If you've been married and you've managed to stay married, you know it takes the Holy Spirit to do that. And if, if God has called you to be celibate, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to really do that well. So I'm not really joking. I think there really is something there that God empowers us to do one or the other, to be one or the other. Because Paul draws attention to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I didn't even bother putting up here the things in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came along and gifted people. Really some very practical things. We see in the building of the items for the, for the temple that, that uh, what was it, Belial? Was that his name? Was Phil, what is it? Bezalel. Bezalel. Thank you, John. John keeps an eye on me and I like that. Get that right. He was empowered with craftsmanship gifts by the Holy Spirit. Why? To serve God's people. Even if you are technically inclined and you're like, I don't have like a gift of prophecy, like I don't sense the voice of God, or I'm just not comfortable with that at this point in my walk, or, or you, you know, maybe you're not there, but hey, whatever you have, God can come alongside and empower that. Why? To build the body of Christ. His objective is to build us up, to make us more and more like him, and more of, a, more of a force of his gospel in the world. My point in all of this is to say that I know many people will argue that there are only X amount of gifts, but when I read through the epistles and everything that Paul had to say about it, I come to the conclusion that n- none of this, Paul never endeavored to give us an exhaustive list of gifts. He defines them in different ways. Peter puts them in different categories. I am of the belief that you cannot uh, write out a list of permanently defined gifts. God will use people for whatever he needs done in that time. Okay, I do not believe there's a limit. Trying to think of something. What do you not see on here? Music? See a gift of music? But do you think that there are people that the Holy Spirit empowers in music? Absolutely, I do too. Why? Because it builds up the body of Christ. Okay? We got, we got this younger generation that's growing up with excellent um, computer kind of knowledge and savvy, right? And part of that is part of their generation, and that's natural. But do you think the Holy Spirit could come alongside and empower somebody to really technically serve the church to extend the gospel? How about these people that put us on the, the interwebs out there, huh? That takes a, that, that's not just a, nat, there is a natural component to that, but the Holy Spirit comes alongside and empowers. You don't see internet gifting in the Bible, right? So there, there are things like that where I have come to the conclusion and we teach that we're not going to endeavor to put a definitive list of gifts together. God will empower people to do whatever he needs done. Amen? All right. I want to get more into, I have 15 minutes. All right. This conversation deserves, let's go to the next slide. This conversation deserves uh, several weeks of discussion, and I'm going to cram it in 15 minutes. And it's the, because I don't, you know, we could, we'll cover more details of it in the future, but I want to um, brush over it with a um, kind of a broad stroke this week. And that is this, have the gifts ceased? Have the gifts of the Holy Spirit not been active? 
We don't have that slide either? All right. It's one of the things that's been debated and contested throughout the history of the church. We read the New Testament and we see that the gifts of the Spirit are powerful and and working miraculously amongst the apostles in the first century church. And as time went on, the frequency of those things seemed to decline uh, and has led to the belief of many churches today that the gifts of the Spirit ended with the first century apostles. That the power of the Holy Spirit does not operate in God's church today. And so I'm going to make a very short attempt to talk about why we believe the gifts have continued. There's two words that we talk about when we talk about this is called cessation, not secession. Some of you are fans of secession right now. Secession is when the South tried to secede from the Union, Civil War. Don't confuse that with cessation, which has to do with the word cease, end. Did the gifts cease? We call that cessationism. Or did they continue? We call that continualism. Okay, this is a major divide in the body of Christ. Now, is this a salvation issue? No. Everybody say no. No. Because there are parts of the body of Christ that have taught that if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not truly saved. We'll unpack some of those details in the days ahead. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole today. But we have to understand that we can disagree about this issue and still be believers, still be Christians, still be friends. And many churches throughout the city that we are friends with and and the area don't necessarily agree with us on this doctrine. But we are continualists, which means we believe that God still moves in power and gifts people with the gifts of the Spirit. No exception. There is still a part of the body of Christ today. So the question becomes, why do they believe, why do people believe that the gifts have ceased? I want to read to you a short portion of a book by Sam Storms. Uh, I've got, the reason I've got all these books up here today, uh, first of all, number one reference right here, your Bible, okay? If you want to know about the gifts, you've got to know the Word of God. If you want to know what to believe, what to have faith for, the Word of God is your foundation. Here's another one. Okay, actually, I'll, I'll tell you about that one in a second. Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Okay, this is, this is for the nerds. The rest of you can check out. I mean, how many of you would look at a book this big and go, I ain't buying that. I'm never going to read that. Janie wouldn't buy this book. I tell you what, there, there's good teaching out there. If you want to know more, you've got to do the research. You've got to dig in. You've got to learn these things. And I would recommend Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. If you are familiar with his work, you will hear some of his themes sometimes in my preaching. Another one is Sam Storms, who I mentioned earlier from that definition. Uh, This book, Understanding Spiritual Gifts, is an excellent resource for digging into the details about how these things work. And then uh, both Grudem and Storms and two other theologians got together... Sorry, there was five of them. Grudem was the editor of this. Our Miraculous Gifts for Today. And they, each one of these guys is four authors. And each one of them presents one of four different views from the gifts definitely do not, are not for today. And then there's a spectrum of them all the way to, yes, miraculous gifts are for today. For today. And these guys are all friends. They all get along. And they all sat down in a room together and presented their arguments and wrote a book 
about the different views about whether or not the gifts have ceased. So, good information for you. Before we look at the biblical arguments in favor of cessationism, because he goes through and, and, and um, looks at all his arguments, I want to share a conversation I had with a close friend who is a committed cessationist. When I asked him why he embraced this view of spiritual gifts, his first response wasn't to cite the biblical texts or theological principles that I will discuss below. Of course, he eventually got around to them, but they were not his first line of defense. Instead, he pointed out Now, I want you to listen to these, what this guy's point are, and just examine your own heart. Are these things in you that resist the power of God working in your life today? Instead, he pointed out that the doctrine of continuationism and the pursuit and practice of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, in his mind, were inseparable from the word of faith movement, which we would disagree with, as well as the more extreme expressions of the so-called prosperity gospel. He also mentioned the offensive and excessive flamboyance of certain TV evangelists. Anyone been there? And their manipulative tactics disguised as ministry. He also was quite honest about his own fear of losing control if he were to embrace continuationism. And then there is the evident disparity between what he read in the New Testament about the operation of miraculous gifts of the Spirit and what he observes in the charismatic movement of our own day. If the former were still valid and operative, why don't we see the same quality and quantity of miracles today? I mention these factors in his answer simply to point out that there is sometimes more at work under the radar, so to speak, in the minds of many cessationists than simply the appeal to certain biblical texts. This may not be true for all cessationists, but it's important to keep in mind in the forefront of our thinking as we examine the arguments cited in defense of this position. The reason I wanted to read that to you is he said it way better than I could. But here's what it boils down to. Before we ever even get to the biblical text, I mean, imagine you, if you weren't a Christian, you didn't know anything about it, you became a Christian, and you start reading through the New Testament, and you start running into all this information about gifts that Paul gives us. What conclusions do you come to on your own? If you didn't grow up in a cessationist church, or you didn't grow up in a charismatic church that formulated your thinking as you grew, or over the years of your development, what would you think if you just objectively dropped right in the middle of Christianity and read through the New Testament? You would see that miracles were a part of the apostolic church, no question. And your next question would be, why do we not see these in the same magnitude or frequency that they did, if at all, in the New Testament. So people's carnal, instantaneous response to the power of the Holy Spirit is skepticism. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But we have to wrestle with what the truth is. Do we derive our truth from the Scripture, or do we derive it from our experiences? This becomes a major factor in this debate about whether or not gifts have ceased. Because I haven't experienced something, or because I have a bad experience with something, it must not be real. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a bad experience with a church or a Christian? Okay, I've had some bad experiences with my own church (laughs) and my own friends, right? Did I come to the conclusion that church must be bad? Now, people do this. I went to church and I was offended, so I don't go to church anymore. How many people do you know operate that way? 
Okay? I, I know a Christian, and he's a jerk, and I just don't want to be one of those. Okay, we know that that, obviously that person that arrives at that judgment has a responsibility in that illogical conclusion. But we also have a responsibility in that. But does our bad experience with a Christian cause us to disbelieve Christianity? If we have a firm grasp of the scripture, we know, of course not. Because that one experience does not represent the overall truth. If you don't see someone healed, does that mean that healing doesn't exist? If you've been praying for 40 years for something, does that mean it's not possible? No, that isn't even a logical conclusion. If you've watched these internet prophets and evangelists, and I'm painting with a broad brush, please don't get offended. Okay, look at what happened in, this last, in the last couple of years. All the tension building up to this election and all of the prophecies flying around the internet about it. All of the hype, all of the fear, all of the angst being stirred not, and didn't come to pass. How many of you's faith was shaken in the gift of prophecy after the last election? As it should have been in terms of the individuals, but not necessarily the gift. Just because there are false prophets, just because sometimes people get it wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more into that soon, okay? I, I just stirred a hornet's nest, I feel like, probably a little bit, Okay. Because, because here's the thing, there is a right dispensation of prophecy and there's a wrong dispensation of prophecy. There's a right order and the scripture gives us everything we need to do those things well, but people don't always do them well. Does that mean they don't exist? Does that mean they're wrong? Does that mean prophecy's wrong? No. Does that mean healing doesn't exist? No. If you've ever seen a bad example of something, does it lead you to believe that the principle behind it, principles behind it don't exist? Of course not. Just because my freshman algebra teacher could not get through to me about algebra doesn't mean that algebra didn't exist. That doesn't make sense. We have to rise above our, min- our momentary experiences and look at the truth of Scripture to decide what is true, not just based our experience. Isn't it asinine when someone says to you, I tried it once, it doesn't work. Like you really are a firm believer in something. It's really helped you or, you know, even something in the world, some kind of exercise, you know, people, everybody has their things, right? It almost, it does get annoying. People are like, oh, you should try this. You should try that. Whatever. You're like, ah, I tried that. It doesn't work. Like, did you really try it? Well, I'd, come on. We don't base our decisions about the gifts of the Spirit and how God's work just on our own minimal and limited experience and by looking at our experiences that were not good. Here's another reason people believe in cessationism. I haven't even gotten to the biblical components yet. I'm talking about the normal human response to these kind of things. People fear abuse. Abuse of the gifts. Right? If someone claims to be a prophet of God, then can they abuse that? Well, if we line up with Scripture, no. But if we have a misunderstanding or, or we use it poorly, of course it can be abused. Foolish behavior discredits the gospel. Okay, this is, broad, this is well beyond gifts. Foolish behavior discredits the gospel. Because even though it's not necessarily okay, people will look at, at your failings or the ways you've injured them or hurt them, and they will judge Christianity based on that. All of that, all of the, the prophecy stuff that went on national news was a major black eye to Christianity in this country. It was damaging to the body of Christ to abuse the gifts, if they were even there at all. 
Now, if I sound a little harsh, it's because I am. We have to be firm about these things. We have to stand against the things that we deliberately think are false in the body of Christ. So when, when bad behavior happens in the body of Christ and gives the church a black eye, that hurts you and I. That's why Paul was so emphatic about your reputation in the world around you. That you would have a good reputation so that your word would be heard and trusted. So that God could be glorified. Not, again, not for you, not for your purpose, but so that God could be glorified. There are things like, you know, if, if, there, if there is prophetic words, is the Bible incomplete? These are all valid concerns, and we're going to start to address them in the days ahead. But let's talk a little bit for the last few minutes about whether or not the gifts have ceased. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Paul is in the middle of an argument, and he says, So that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. What's the end? What are we waiting for? We have gifts as we wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a day where Jesus will return. This is what we call the church era. From, from Christ, Christ leaving the earth and his coming a second time, we call that the church era. Within that epoch, we would call it the gifts of the Spirit are a component to sustain us to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see an indication of time frame here. Ephesians chapter 4, I just going to make this quick. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What are the gifts for? Until, there's a time word, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. In this time, until the maturity comes, the full measure of the stature of Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm, I see lots of this still active in the church today. Have we arrived at that maturity? Have we arrived at that point collectively where we're in unity and, and, and in the fullness of Christ? No, and I don't think we will till he returns. This indicates time frame. Last one is this. This gets used in both sides of the argument. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Oh, there you go. That's what it says. They will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Uh, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Here's what happens. Some people will argue that the perfect is the Scripture. When the canon of the Scripture came together, that that was the perfect. But I don't believe that was in context at all. I'm not giving them due diligence because I don't have time. Uh, to articulate their whole argument. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Again, what's this until? Where's this perfection? What's this day we're looking forward to? We know that when Christ returns and we're resurrected in our perfect bodies and go on to eternal life, that is the perfection we look forward to. And until that day, we do have knowledge. We do have prophecy. We do have tongues. The gifts are still active until that time. So some people will use it to argue that they've ceased. Other people will use this passage to argue. It's a great uh, actual argument for their continuation. So I think that's taken out of context. There's many others that they use that I don't have time to get into today.
going to wrap up with this. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all. Them all. Service, gifts, activities, empowered by the Holy Spirit in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Did Paul give this only for the first century believers? I don't think so. I believe the gifts are for today. For the building up, the edification, the strengthening of the body, for the common good, the Holy Spirit is empowering us and strengthening us. Would you stand, please? Perhaps I've created more questions than answers for you today. I would encourage you to be patient as we unpack these things. It's a uh, complex process. But here's the thing I, I want you to be sure that you leave here the thought with today. Yes, we believe that the gifts are active today. Yes, we believe there's quite a variety of them. But the main thing I really want you to understand as we're talking about these gifts is God gives us instruction on how to do it right and well. Okay? Yes, it is poorly done in, other, in circumstances. We're humans. We're fallible. We make mistakes when we get outside of God's guidelines for how things need to operate. God's word is sufficient to guide us in these things, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Lynn and Clem in the weeks ahead about this and then discussing more with you in the days ahead. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you empower us. (laughs) Whatever it is we need, sometimes we just need to be empowered to be kind when we don't want to be kind. Some of us need to be empowered just to get out of bed because we're so depressed. But some, Lord, we want, to, we want to see so much more than that. Lord, we want to see your gifts moving powerfully amongst us. Lord, we do want to see healing amongst us. We want to see the encouragement that comes and the strengthening, Lord, with the exercise of your gifts amongst us. Lord, and for all, of us, all those that have questions or challenges in their minds about these things, what does that look like? How do they operate? How do you, is there accountability with those things? Like, how do you hear from God? How do you... Walk down that road. Lord, all those things, Lord, I pray that you would now, Lord, be ministering peace in each one, Lord, and that as, as we dive into your word, God, that you'd be giving us good instruction and direction on these things. God, thank you that you didn't leave your church weak and helpless, that you made us a force on the earth. And by partnering with you in relationship with you and submitting to you, Lord, you empower us to deliver your gospel. In Jesus' name. Amen.